Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Born in Windsor, Ontario, Laura Peterson holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts from York University and an MFA from the New York Academy of Art. With a practice situated in printmaking, drawing, and painting, Laura's works combine multi-print-based techniques with a handmade aesthetic. Laura lives in Calendar, Ontario, and teaches printmaking, painting, and drawing at Nipissing University. Her practice includes traditional printmaking disciplines, as well as large-scale print-based mural works that involve layering woodcut, linocut, and paper-cut prints with wheat paste over hand-painted imagery. Laura's work has recently been presented in solo exhibitions at Galerie Atelier Circulaire in Montreal, Station Gallery in Whitby, and Alberta Printmakers Gallery in Calgary, as well as numerous group exhibitions in Canada, the U.S., and Europe. In addition to exhibiting in galleries, Laura has an active practice in illustration and public art with large-scale murals in Sudbury, North Bay, and Port Burwell, Ontario. Please help me welcome Laura Peterson to the podcast. Hi, Laura. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. My COVID got in the way. Yes, I'm glad that you're better and that we're getting to do this now. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you because I know you are a printmaker. I'm somebody who is secretly in love with printmaking. So (laughs) I want to learn as much as I can from you about your process. Great. So I thought we could start with maybe telling us a little bit about how you actually got into printmaking, where that came from and why you're so passionate about it. Sure. Yeah, I actually had no experience with printmaking when I went into my BFA degree at York and I thought I would be a painter because I think most high school students, that's what they have experience with. And those were the artists that I knew and loved. And then I just had a really excellent teacher at York. And I think that's so often how people come to their passions is through the kind of contagious enthusiasm of someone else. So I took uh, printmaking courses with Barbara Balfour at York University. And that was kind of what got me interested in printmaking. And I went away from it and did a master's in painting again, (laughs) and then kind of came back to it later on. So I've always done a little bit of everything, but yeah, printmaking is my primary focus for sure. And you still love painting or is printmaking? I do, although I don't tend to take it seriously the way I do with printmaking. I do it in my sketchbook a lot or for fun, but not as like projects that I intend to show. So what kind of prints do you make or what kind of printmaking are you into? So I have a couple of different ways of working. And in one way of working, it's a more traditional approach that involves printmaking on kind of smaller scale uh, surfaces that go on the wall. And then I also do more expansive 
print-based installation work that involves working on the surface of the gallery walls or whatever site I'm working in. So it tends to be much larger scale and more flexible in the way that the components are produced and assembled in the space. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the printmaking disciplines I use, most frequently I work in relief printmaking, so woodcut and linocut. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I also do screen printing and intaglio and all the other types as well. Can you, just for anybody who might not be familiar with some of those terms, like, can you explain what a, like a woodcut and a line of block is and Italian? Like, I know all these. Yeah, sure. I think if you didn't know this, you'd be like, what? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So most of my installation-based work is comprised of painting on the wall and then layering that with wheat pasted prints that have been cut out. So they're usually like fairly intricate paper cuts, but they're cutting out the imagery that's produced through relief prints. So I take a wood block or a block of linoleum and draw directly onto that surface. And in relief printmaking, you carve away all of the non-image areas. So if you have a line you carve on either side of the line. So it involves that kind of physical separation between the image and the non-image areas. And you roll the surface with a brayer or a like a large roller. And then you either run it through a press or hand print it with a baron or a spoon. I have to tell you, I uh, sometimes teach that to my students and was cleaning the art room recently and found a large stack of linoleum and I was so excited. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's a gold mine. It's definitely the most approachable form of printmaking. Like anyone can do it. You don't need a lot in terms of the facility or shop that you would need to produce those prints. So it's super accessible and was really great to have that practice during COVID and lockdowns, obviously, when we didn't have access to those communal spaces. And then some of the other types of printmaking you mentioned, you've also just said about communal spaces. Can you talk about what that would involve and why you need those communal spaces as a printmaker? Sure. So screen printing, you know, you can do it in a direct way that doesn't involve any kind of photo emulsion or darkroom processes where you're just painting onto a screen. But even that, the kind of cleaning of the screens and whatnot, you want to have a shop that's set up with sinks that can take that kind of material. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I work out of the print shop at Nipissing University, which is where I teach. So that's really nice to have access to that space. And screen printing, usually the way that I work is still a very handmade process. So I'm shooting drawings onto a screen rather than something photo-based or digital. And then intaglio printmaking is etching into copper. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, the kind of printmaking that you see in a museum when you're looking at a Goya or Rembrandt print. And it often has this really kind of delicate line work and rich velvety blacks in the kind of toned areas. And so which would be your favorite? Is that hard to answer? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think one of the things that is useful about being a painter coming to printmaking is printmaking has a very kind of technical minded following, you know, people who are often really enthusiastic about all of the processes. And I tend to think about prints in a very flexible way and don't always follow the normal manner of approaching a print. So there are loose rules around how you might approach a particular process. And I don't necessarily have the kind of rigidity that you might have if you were trained at the Tamron Institute, for example, where the ways of working are are more kind of structured. That's great, because I think that probably gives you a lot more freedom too to play and have a little bit of fun with it. 
Yeah. And sometimes I do things that don't work. So there's that, but it definitely like it keeps it more experimental and fresh. And because I teach too, I often encounter students that are trying different things or kind of experimental ways of working in an interdisciplinary way. And I'm kind of always like taking notes on their <laughs> successes and failures. That was good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about like your subject matter? Because you have a very unique subject matter, I think. Yeah. But with your process as well. Sure. In my more traditional prints that I tend to show in like, say, commercial galleries, it tends to be imagery that is centered around the kind of domestic sphere and very much interested in the experience of childhood and the formation of a kind of inner life or interiority and the way that one's sense of place or identity might be connected to either the environment or to their place within a family structure. Mm -hmm. And the aesthetic is very narrative and is informed by golden age illustrators like Arthur Rackham or Jesse Wilcox Smith, but also a lot of 19th century artists who worked in printmaking like Mary Cassatt, where, mm -hmm. you know, it's a kind of giving dignity to the smallness of a kind of domestic world, I think. And sir, you mentioned the golden age illustrations. I just had a visualization of that because I remember seeing some of those books as a child. And I haven't seen them in ages. So to look back at your work, it is very nostalgic for me. Definitely different from what we see today in children's illustrations and books. So Yeah, and I think with the large-scale print-based installations, it's trying to evoke that sense of immersion that you can get in a really richly detailed illustration where there's like so much to see. And those installations tend to have more specific kind of content in terms of the ideas that I'm dealing with, but the imagery is very similar in terms of the character of the line work and the subject matter, often their children as the kind of protagonists in the narratives and a real connection with the natural world. Although I often am dealing with more kind of sinister aspects in the large scale murals, such as like the way that the landscape that one um, lives in can be changed by invasive species or by genetically modified species and the, the way that the character of that landscape might change the way one experiences it. When you do your installations, are you thinking then about how the audience engages with the prints and the space? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like it, the idea that they are life-size, like the figures are life-size, the plant material is life-size. And often there's a kind of play with scale relationships. So one of the murals, which is the way I think of them, the different pieces within a body of work that gets shown, depicts children kind of climbing in a tangled forest that is made of giant hogweed. So this is a invasive weed that was brought over as an ornamental garden plant. And now you see it on the, on the edges of woodlands in Southern Ontario in particular, but it has this kind of very bizarre sense of scale in that it looks like a carrot flower that is just really out of proportion. So playing with the scale relationships between the children and the plants in those murals where the, it is accurate, but looks sort of like an Alice in Wonderland kind of distortion. And then playing on the idea that the flowers in that story are also quite sinister. That's a great reference. Uh, I actually recently watched that with my students. So it's, my brain just went, oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
You've also mentioned that you're a teacher. So how does being a teacher inform your art practice and vice versa? You kind of alluded a little bit to it, but I think, you know, let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, it's really delightful in the sense that you kind of always have a built-in community. So printmaking tends to have a great sense of community because you need to work in a shared space. Uh, And for me, that involves interacting with my students outside of class on a more casual level where we just both happen to be working on our own projects Mm -hmm. outside of class in our own time. Uh, So there's a lot of kind of casual interaction and feedback that happens, you know, when you're just kind of sharing the space. And then I enjoy the challenge of teaching in that I'm often trying to help students find solutions to their own problems or their own goals in terms of the way that they're working. So yeah, it's great. I really like teaching and Nipissing is a great school in that the class sizes are capped at 20. So I always have a pretty tight group of students Mm -hmm. that often have really interesting kind of group dynamics and it changes every year. But Nipissing is also unique in that we really tend to continue relationships with alumni after they graduate. So I hear a lot from past students or, you know, eventually become friends with students after they graduate. So that's been really lovely. That's a great sense of community. I mean, I think that should happen in more places than it actually does. What about your current work? What are you working on right now? What's captured your attention? Are you working towards anything? Yeah. So the last body of work that I was kind of developing called Wasteland Wonderland dealt with different invasive species. And the project I'm working on now is informed a bit by the experience of COVID and quarantine and this kind of thing. It's called Keeping Time. And it's another very large scale print-based kind of mural work that is comprised of a, a number of different murals. And it's also kind of narrative in nature and references archetypes from children's literature. But it is an exercise in capturing the experience of time that can expand and contract. So it's inspired by my experience as a parent, particularly during quarantine, you know, we've all had that sense of time that feels endless, but then also time that feels very quick. So the figures are in landscapes that have references to things like erratic boulders, things that have been there for a really long time, Mm -hmm. uh, and also the remnants of child-made forts and kind of play spaces Mm -hmm. when freshly built would have offered a space of separation uh, that allowed for a kind of independence and interiority. And then the present and future deterioration of that structure kind of references the aging of the children who built them, as well as that kind of constant cyclical nature of the environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was reading, rereading while I was kind of working on this body of work, Mrs. Dalway by Virginia Woolf. And she has such an interesting way of contrasting a kind of measurable sense of time. You know, the chiming of Big Ben throughout that book while at the same time contrasting it with these very impressionistic experiences of time and memory in a way that's much more fluid and less kind of like scientific and measurable than the way that we think about time. So I incorporated the book into the mural and was definitely inspired by that kind of poetic juxtaposition of the two ways that we might experience time. 
I have not read Virginia Woolf since university. So <laughs> I found again during the pandemic, I was coming back to a lot of the books that I loved as a teenager and seeing which ones held up and which ones didn't. <laughs> yeah, it would be an interesting revisit because I definitely read a lot of her work to being an English minor. It was part of a lot of the literature that we read. So when you oh, mentioned I'm sure, it, yeah. you took me back for sure. That's great. I, I was wondering about while you were talking, you're talking about these installations. And I, I guess I have a two-part question, I think maybe. First of all, you talked about you do a lot of the work ahead of time, but there's also a whole component to the actual installation. So I'm trying to picture time-wise, like first you're in the print studio, but what is it like when you're actually like getting ready for that installation component? And you just mentioned time. So what what are Mm -hmm. the kind of parameters that you work within? Yeah, it's an interesting way of working because it's very different from the kind of traditional print work that I do. Oftentimes I'll do a lot of just like thumbnail compositional sketches where I'm just like roughly sketching out what elements might be in a composition based on the idea. And then I'm drawing onto lino blocks and kind of producing the elements that will comprise the different murals. So in Wasteland Wonderland, for example, Mm -hmm. there is a mural that incorporates starlings, which are a species that was brought to North America in the 1860s by an amateur zoologist named Eugene Scheiflin. Mm -hmm. He was trying to introduce all the birds that were mentioned in Shakespeare's poetry and plays. And obviously many of them thrived in the different (laughs) climate. So the starlings, for example, I might have like six different birds that I've carved out of wood or linoleum, and then I'll print them multiple, multiple times. And I keep a kind of running tally or inventory of how many of each component I have. And then I know what I have to work with in the space. Mm -hmm. So the thing about printmaking is, of course, that you can make multiples. So while five or six starlings are not that many, if you print them in such a quantity and place them in a way that it's not immediately apparent that they're just repeats. It can look like a swarm or a kind of larger group. So I will kind of collect all the different materials that will form a composition. And then when I get into the gallery space, there's a lot of kind of responsive work that comes with the placing of the different imagery. So even though I have those compositional sketches that often have kind of a general sense of what the design might be, like if there's a directional element I want in terms of the like the movement of the piece or the varying kind of scale relationships of the larger components, and then we paste them onto the wall. Mm-hmm. So we paste is just like a really simple mixture of warm water and flour that you whisk So often I'll kind of lay everything out in the gallery floor and sort of piece it up slowly. But the wheat pasting is pretty quick. It's the painting of the silhouette imagery that takes the most time, I would say. And so when you prepare for an exhibition, uh, if you're proposing it to a gallery, do you also propose the timelines for installation? Like, Yes. Yeah. So that's important to let them know. And it's also important to let them know, too, how to remove it. So it's like wallpaper where you remove it with a wet sponge and a putty knife or a You can do it with your fingers as well, but, and then the the gallery obviously needs to be repainted afterwards. So 
You never get a call after saying, what did you do to our wall? <laughs> no, no. And when I did, I did something at the Gladstone Hotel for come up to my room mm-hmm. and I built like a false wall because of course that's a heritage building that is protected. So you can't just go in and mess up their walls. So yeah, I've adapted where I've needed to, but I do indicate all of that stuff in proposals when I'm making them to galleries. When you're creating, you mentioned that you use lino block and you also use a wood block. Is the wood block because it allows you to go bigger for scale? Is that why you choose that medium or is there something in the... Uh, usually wood? it's to do with the texture, like the grain of the image, whether I want a grain or not. And then sometimes it's just practical. Wood is harder to carve. So if my hands are in a particularly bad way, then I'll be going with the lino for a while. Yeah. But I get linoleum in very large rolls so you can get it scaled up and at first some of the installations have like 14 feet trees in them or corn stalks that are 14 feet high and I was carving and printing like a 14 foot piece of linoleum and printing it but then I realized when I was installing the work it's so hard to wheat paste a large paper, it's much easier if you kind of cut it up and it looks seamless once it's up. And once I kind of had gotten a little bit more experience, I realized, oh, I can just like cut up this block and then I can fit it onto a press, which makes printing it easier. So I'm getting smarter about the way I work. I think I would have done it the way you did. I feel like with the big piece going, this is not going to work. Yeah. I think it's because we imagine how it's going to look when it's complete, instead of thinking about it, yeah, in a way that it can be kind of all packed together and then deployed in the space. (laughs) I guess that has me curious about, has there ever been a piece where you're like, I have this idea and then practicality, like the 14 foot tree that you're like, why did I head down this path? Ah, well, so currently I'm working with my husband on expanding the work to be more kind of three-dimensional. So my husband, Andrew Ackerman is a sculptor. Mm -hmm. And so he's making like wood components. So I mentioned the kind of child-made forts that are in the Keeping Time project. So when things get too big, when I have an idea for something, you know, often I'll end up collaborating with another artist who might have the skills or expertise to do that kind of thing. Like a very old project in the past, I was dealing with some sound-based components to the print-based sculpture. And, you know, I just collaborated with an artist who does that kind of thing. And then it opens up another dimension. Yeah. Where you can kind of get their ideas and it becomes something different than when it's just your project. That sounds great, actually. What a great idea. I don't know why I haven't thought about that. I think that probably one needs to make sure that they feel comfortable collaborating because you do give up some of the ownership and some of the control over the project when you're collaborating with other people. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Well, I think too, I, uh, I tend to want to figure things out. So that's where my desire to know what's happening and not thinking practically steps in instead of somebody who knows Trial and error. Yeah, I, I can figure this out, I'm sure. <laughs> but it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, I have less confidence in my own <laughs> abilities. Well, you know, usually halfway through the project, I'm like, this would have been easier to ask somebody. Right. <laughs> I thought as we wrap this up, we could end with five 
quick questions where I ask right. yeah. questions and you just off the top of your head, think about whatever comes to you. First one, what's the best advice you've ever been given either as an artist or, as, or even a print maker? So some of the best advice came to me in grad school. I went to the New York Academy of Art and it was a very kind of driven student body. And so, you know, the idea of just doing your work all the time, even if it you didn't feel like it, even if you weren't in the mood, to just start working. And then oftentimes ideas come to you or you get into the zone or you feel momentum once you start working. So I think that idea of just like continue to work even when you don't feel like it, even if it's just drawing in your sketchbook. I totally agree with that 100%. It's what inspires you most. So yeah, nice. If you had one piece to leave as a legacy piece, what would it be and why? Well, I think most folks are most enthusiastic about whatever they're working on at that given time. So my current project, Keeping Time, is probably the one I would choose because it combines my interests in the environment and in time, but also it's obviously a very personal project about my feelings as a parent and, you know, my feelings towards my children as like these kind of separate people who are going their own way, you know? That's great. If you were invited to a dinner party, I always love this question. Who is the one artist, past or present, that you would love to be seated beside for that party and why? Yeah, well, probably one of my favorite artists and people who I'm most intrigued by in terms of, you know, having read their letters and diaries is Kate Kolovitz, although I don't imagine it would be a very uplifting conversation because of course her life was so tragic but I would be very interested in meeting her just Mm -hmm. the work that she's made has such emotional intensity and I think you know is more relevant than ever today you know in a time where we're still dealing with conflicts in the world so probably I'd choose Kate Kolovitz and of course she's like a mother and a printmaker and (laughs) But her work is, like you said, very emotional, very strong. You get an immediate connection with it. So yeah, this one, I'm kind of off the top of my head. But if you were to recommend one type of printmaking technique for an artist to try, what would you say is a good form to start with? You know, it would really depend on the type of artists. So I see this with students, you know, oftentimes in first year, I'll see a student who has like a really interesting kind of graphic flat quality to their work. And I think like, oh, screen printing is the way to go for this artist. And then there might be a student that draws beautifully in like black pen and is making these really kind of richly hatched images. And I think Intaglio is right for you. So it really depends, I think, on what the artist has an affinity for in terms of the character of their imagery, because of course, certain mediums lend themselves to different kind of visual effects. Mm -hmm. If you're working at home, and you're a painter, monotype is very approachable. Ah, there you go. Yeah. There's a a new product that I, I mean, it's probably not that new, but I just was exploring a lot of things during the lockdown when I couldn't get into the print shop. And jelly plates are like a gelatin plate that you don't need a lot of pressure to take the print from. So if you're someone who is used to working in painting, it's a really kind of uh, intuitive way of working and you don't need to press. 
I have a confession. I bought a jelly plate, but I have not used it yet. <laughs> on my list of things to play with. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for inspiration, the artist William Merritt Chase has right. some like beautiful monotypes that he's made. And a lot of artists from the 19th century, you know, Degas also has some beautiful monotypes that just have such a beautiful sense of light and dark and drama to them. They look like film stills almost. Well, I'll definitely have to look into that because I have it sitting in my studio. Maybe that's my summer project. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Laura, for meeting with me tonight and for chatting. I've enjoyed hearing about your printmaking and now I'm going to want to go and print, (laughs) but even though I haven't done it in a while, (laughs) Um, but we'll definitely look out for, you do have a show coming up this summer. That's correct. Yeah. uh, At Amory Zender Gallery or AM Zender Gallery in Cape Cod. And that is a more traditional show. And then I have a show at the Martha Street studio in Winnipeg. That's great. So we'll definitely put links to those two galleries so that people can check out your work. Great. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.